Nine Lives, the debut album from Catalyst, grips with infinite possibility and reflects the contemporary Los Angeles jazz scene. Catalyst is more than a nine-piece band. It's a collective of producers, composers, musicians, and writers who represent a who's who of the Los Angeles jazz community. You can listen to the album on all of the major music platforms or purchase a copy through bandcamp.com. Catalyst with a K, and the album is Nine Lives. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. As potential vaccines for COVID-19 approached approval, the focus has been on the safety and efficacy of candidates. Now that vaccines have been approved, attention has been shifting to the complex logistical challenges of manufacturing, distributing, and delivering vaccines to patients. The process has opened up visibility into many aspects of the supply chain that are usually taken for granted. One of those aspects are the vials used to store vaccines and the threat that a shortage of glass bottles could cripple distribution efforts. SIO2 Material Sciences, which won a $143 million U.S. government contract for vials and syringes, is applying semiconductor technology to create plastic containers with a nano-coating of glass inside. We spoke to Christopher Weikart, Head of Scientific Affairs and Chief Scientist for SIO2 Material Sciences, about the considerations that go into a vaccine vial, the technology SIO2 is using, and why it offers advantages over traditional glass and plastic containers. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hi, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. We're going to talk about two of the many logistical challenges vaccine producers face in getting their products to patients that your company, SIO2 Material Sciences, is addressing. The, this involves the vials needed to transport the vaccines and the syringes needed to deliver them. Perhaps we can begin with the demand we're facing. How many vials and syringes are expected to be delivered, needed to deliver COVID-19 vaccines, and is there a ready supply? Well, um, as, you, as you may or may not know, uh, there's, uh, there's obviously uh, a lot of glass that's on the market today supporting um, a variety of drug products. And of course, the new, the new COVID uh, vaccine uh, pandemic has, has really accelerated that need. And, uh, and I think you've if you, if you search around on the internet, you'll find that there's uh, there's indeed a shortage of glass, and uh, and certainly the government and and uh, and other uh, agencies are looking for alternatives or or, or at least a, a short term uh, supply um, for addressing these needs. And we are we are unique in the fact that um, we can scale up very very quickly, and uh, we can add additional capacity to address this short term need. Um, 
this has obviously been infused by government money. Uh, we were lucky enough to get a grant from the U.S. government um, to the tune of $143 million uh, a couple months ago, a few months ago. And uh, we've since gone from uh, a capacity of about 10 million vials uh, per year uh, to upwards of uh, 40, I'm sorry, 140 or, or more uh, million vials per year. And that's a pretty, uh, pretty quick uh, ramp up um, supply of vials. And we can do that because of our technology. It's very difficult for glass manufacturers to add that additional capacity in the short term um, because you got to build a brand new plan. And typically that could take one to two years to do that. So we've added, um, you know, taken our plant from 10 million to 140 or 150 million uh, vials uh, per year, be, uh, basically within three to four months. And uh, that's what makes us so attractive uh, to, uh, to the U.S. government and, and obviously other, other entities that are interested in addressing the supply demand for, for glass. The company launched the line of specialty vials for biological drugs and vaccines at the end of April. You had already entered the pharmaceutical space, but efforts to target the vaccine market were new. To what extent did this come in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, yeah, before, before the summer, we were targeting um, a class of drugs known as biologics. And I think all of us have, uh, have know somebody who a biologic drug, uh, whether it be Humira or Enbrel or, or a whole variety of other drugs that are on the market for a variety of different ailments and diseases. Um, so we were, in, we were in the midst of, of um, supplying um, and, and again, ramping up capacity for our customers. And we have many uh, in this space, but certainly the COVID uh, pandemic really changed things for us in, in a very big way. Uh, we, we could not have, have uh, have ramped up so quickly without this, this massive demand. And um, that's really been the motivation for uh, hiring a, an additional 250 additional folks since, uh, since summer, adding on the, all this additional uh, capacity. We bought additional buildings here in Auburn, Alabama, where we're headquartered uh, in order to, to handle this. And um, we've got uh, contracts with Moderna as well as other uh, companies to supply these vials. This, uh, this serious uh, uh, pandemic with, uh, with. How significant is the need and, and what's the opportunity for the company? Oh, it, it's, it's astronomical, obviously. It's, um, uh, this was a bit of a, a blessing in disguise for us, um, obviously as a, as a primary patching company for, for pharmaceutical products. Um, obviously, we, we uh, really appreciate uh, the ability to play a, a really significant role in, uh, in addressing um, this, uh, this pandemic. And, and as you indicated, uh, we do that by, by supplying primary containers, whether it be a vial uh, or a syringe, to, to store and administer the, the vaccine. And um, it has really propelled our business in a big, big way. I mean, we, I don't think we could, we certainly didn't, did, had, had no plans of this happening. Uh, nobody could foresee it uh, uh, last year at this, at this same time. And um, our whole focus right now is addressing this short-term need. And, uh, and we're, at the same time, we're obviously managing a whole host of other customers for, um, for a variety of other ailments um, with, with biologic drugs. But this is our primary focus. Certainly in the next uh, six months to 12 months, this is our, our primary focus to deliver on this. Are there 
problems or limitations with traditional glass or plastic containers? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's an interesting area where I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about the vaccines requiring extremely cold temperatures, and we're not talking uh, your refrigerator or even your freezer. Um, you got to pack uh, these uh, vaccines on, um, uh, on, on dry ice and, and sometimes even colder than dry ice. So we're talking, you know, minus 80 or below. Um, and this obviously puts uh, a tremendous stra strain on the supply chain and, and you have to in it basically implement new uh, capital new for uh, refrigeration that's, that, that didn't exist. That's happening today. For the vials themselves, glass um, does have some issues. Um, obviously, uh, probably the most obvious is breakage. Uh, whether you store them cold or not, you know, glass does break. And, uh, and at colder temperatures, it makes that more of a problem. And not just for, for uh, fracturing and breakage of the vials, but even just ensuring that they seal correctly, that you don't get um, any leakage uh, or, or you know, leakage of the contents out of the vial. Or, or gases from outside the vial into the vial. Uh, glass does have some issues there and we, we make up for uh, those shortcomings. Uh, we, have, we basically have a, a plastic vial that has a very thin layer of uh, glass on the inside. Um, so you're able to mate the rubber stopper and the vial uh, without um, having any leakage issues uh, and certainly no breakage issues because this is a very durable uh, impact resistant vial. And uh, we've designed it in a way um, where we can basically outperform standard borosilicate glass that uh, is on the market today. And, and again, this, these cold temperature requirements really uh, places some, some really harsh requirements on the container itself. And uh, we've, we've shown that we can withstand and, and tolerate those extreme conditions. I suspect most people have been focusing their intention on what goes into the vial rather than the vial themselves. But are there properties that vials for vaccines and biologics need to have? Yes. Um, I mean, for a long time, we've used glass, right? And, and, uh, but the, the uh, demographics and the types of drugs have changed astronomically over the decades. Um, drug molecules have become more complex. Uh, they're more sensitive. They're more needy. They, they require uh, a whole host of special requirements. Each one treated equally. So um, while one may be sensitive to oxygen, another one may be sensitive to maybe even glass and then and the, the components of glass. And so um, we've come to a point where, where glass is really becoming inferior as a, as a standard uh, material of construction for primary containers of, of, of drugs in general. Uh, and we're talking again about uh, biologic drugs, which, which could be anything from, um, from uh, peptides to proteins to cells. Um, and, uh, and, and as I've listed those, they become more and more complex and, and again, more and more needy in terms of their, their requirements. And that's where we come in. We we kind of we, we have to, we bring the best of glass and the the best of plastic into one container. So we eliminate, say, breakage of glass, for instance. Um, ordinary plastics by themselves have their own problems. You get uh, pieces of plastic or compounds in plastic that will migrate into the drug and contaminate it. 
that's a problem. But if you put a, a thin layer of glass on the inside, you eliminate that problem uh, completely. So again, uh, I'm just giving you a couple examples of, of uh, where we combine uh, glass and plastic properties together. Um, but, uh, but indeed, the need for new primary containment to protect and preserve these very sensitive drugs uh, has come to a, to a head and, and there needs to be change. How complicated is this to manufacture? And my understanding is you're taking a, a cue from the semiconductor industry to make these? Yes, we're, we're taking a, a polymer resin and, and then we, uh, we melt that down and mold it into a vial or syringe. And then, as I said, we apply this very thin layer of glass the inside and we're leveraging technology that was born out of the microelectronics industry for depositing uh, and, and manufacturing integrated circuits on silicon wafers. So you know, a lot of our electronic devices have these, um, uh, these process, microprocessors, they have chips in them and they have many different layers of uh, different materials. Uh, plasma technology is a key piece of that manufacturing. Um, so we're, we leveraged that technology, adapted it um, for coating the inside of each and every one of our containers with uh, an inert, uh, chemically resilient uh, coating uh, to protect and preserve the, um, uh, the drug product. And we do all of this in, in a clean room environment where, um, where it's uh, ultra clean, you know, that you don't have a lot of particle debris in the, uh, in the room. So we manage and, and control that to very, very stringent standards. And of course, we want to make sure that we minimize uh, any and, and, and almost eliminate any uh, uh, you know, microbes that would obviously grow inside the vial. These are pretty standard uh, manufacturing practices that are needed for these types of uh, containers. And we do that at our facility here in Auburn, Alabama. And when you talk about this glass coating, we're talking about something that's not even visible to the naked eye. How thick is this coating? Yes, uh, the, the coating itself, it's actually, uh, it can, consists of about three layers and, uh, but the total thickness is less than half a micron. And those not familiar with the units of, of microns, um, if you think about maybe the, the width of uh, human hair uh, to be about 40 microns. Um, so if, let's just say our coatings uh, half a micron, then you're talking about 80 times uh, thinner than a human hair. Um, each one of the layers uh, can be 800 to 1,000 times thinner than a human hair. So yes, this is very thin, very difficult, if not impossible to see by the eye. So we have a lot of um, sophisticated analytical technology uh, to inspect uh, each and every vial to ensure the coating is there, that it's intact. We've done uh, a very uh, exhaustive battery of tests in development of the vial to ensure that this coating remains intact um, for the duration of the shelf life of the product, can resist a, uh, a wide variety of uh, chemical, mechanical, and, and uh, thermal exposures, and still uh, still perform as prescribed. So we've, we've did, basically we put about 10 years and $500 million worth of investment uh, in creating this technology. And now it's about mass producing it for vaccines, obviously, and, and, uh, and lots of other drugs. How does it compare on a cost basis to conventional packaging? 
Yeah, at scale, um, it's comparable, um, meaning you know, at these very high volumes. Um, in some situations, you may uh, pay a premium, uh, you know, maybe upwards of 10 cents per vial, uh, but very competitive with, uh, with standard glass packaging that's out there today um, for biologic drugs. Now, obviously, uh, ours comes with benefits, and uh, we basically eliminate a lot of the problems that, that, that glass uh, cannot address. So uh, in some cases, there may be a slight premium, but it's not, uh, not astronomical. These, uh, are, these are carrying fairly expensive drugs traditionally. Uh, how much of a problem is breakage and, and is there significant savings with your product? Absolutely. Um, you know, breakage is probably one of the most obvious problems with glass. Um, we, uh, we mold this out of a, a very uh, tough and resilient polymer. It's, it's medical grade, but it has uh, tremendous uh, impact resistance. And um, they're obviously, you know, for instance, if you were, uh, many drugs are, are freeze dried, you know, they're, they're frozen. Why did they do that? Because uh, the drugs uh, basically don't have a very long shelf life in, uh, in a water-based formulation. So they're frozen. And, um, and, you know, that can be a problem obviously in, in a glass container. And if, if uh, one vial were to shatter in a batch, you basically contaminate that entire batch. And that's uh, obviously a huge loss for the company, for the pharmaceutical company. Um, ours will not break. We've done studies um, where we've done freeze-dried drug products in, in our vials versus glass, and vials break. Um, that's just a very specific application, but um, you drop our vials, you can, you can, our owner likes to throw our vials against the wall just to show how, how tough they are. I mean, it's a bit crude, but it's, uh, you know, very visual, and people understand that, uh, that this stuff does not break. What type of regulatory review, if any, do these containers have to go through? Yeah, they, they go through, I mean, the, the, the normal regulatory uh, reviews that uh, any other uh, vials. I mean, there's obviously other manufacturers of vials, not just borosilicate. Um, and uh, it's pretty rigorous, obviously. I mean, you have to ensure um, that you meet all of the compendio guidelines, and there are many um, to, to address things like uh, anything uh, extracting or leaching from uh, your, your container into the drug product. You have to ensure that there's no toxicity concerns uh, or any compatibility concerns. And, uh, and again, those are all tied up in the many compendial tests that uh, the FDA expects when you, uh, when you go to apply for, uh, uh, for, for the ability to sell the product. As you mentioned earlier, in June, the company secured a $143 million U.S. government contract to scale up and advance this platform for vaccines. What has this meant to the company? Well, I, I may have indicated before, it's quite a privilege, really, um, for us to be able to play a, a significant role in, um, uh, in this pandemic. And I, you know, I think, you know, as you said appropriately, most people are thinking about the vaccine. And, um, and certainly the packaging is somewhat of a secondary uh, consideration, but it's albeit a very important one. And uh, we've spent, you know, obviously a lot, a lot of years and a lot of money to develop something that we think is, is superior and simply better. And uh, um, the, the COVID pandemic is, is, a, is, a, is a tremendous opportunity for us. I mean, our, our, each one of our employees is, is really proud and has a, 
a sense of purpose every day when they come in uh, to work because they know these are going to uh, the folks that are making these very valuable vaccines and is going to uh, uh, hopefully, obviously, inoculate uh, the population, the masses um, from this uh, horrendous virus. So, um, yeah, I think everybody comes in every day with uh, an extreme sense of purpose and uh, very excited to see uh, shipments of vials go out to our customers. Uh, and I, I mentioned Moderna being one of those to, to be a recipient of, of uh, tens of millions of vials already. And I imagine it's not just purpose, but urgency you're feeling. Uh, you mentioned some of the expansion you're doing, but how quickly are, are you able to ramp up and, and how many vials do you need to produce here? Yes. Um, well, I mean, you know, th- we, there are many, many companies um, uh, there, you know, I think you can count on one hand how many companies are developing new, uh, new, new vaccines, and uh, and there are going to be more to come, uh, without question. So we've, as I may have said before, we we started uh, with a capacity of about you know ten uh, or so million uh, vials per year, and within a few months we were able to ramp up to uh, you know around 140, 150 million vials. Uh, per year now, you got to remember each vial is a is a multi-dose vial, meaning you you have multiple uh, doses in in each vial. So you know, so our our goal uh, by the end of the year is to address uh, around 200 million doses um, for for the vaccine, uh, and then next year we'll be doing that even 10 10 20 fold. Um, so. The ramp up is pretty aggressive. Uh, we have people working uh, day and night uh, to do, to address this. So yes, the urgency is there, and we feel it. And um, and it's uh, um, it's all hands on deck right now until we get all the vials out that we need to address uh, all the studies that are going on for for drugs that are in for vaccines that are in development, as well as to, uh, for for those uh, vaccines that will be distributed to the masses. And how does this fit into the broader business of SIO2? And, and do you think this is going to have lasting impacts on the way life sciences companies view their containers? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I'm obviously very excited about our technology, but I'm equally excited about um, many of these companies that are developing these new vaccines. And you know, they were, they were already working on these. Uh, for instance, you know, the, the messenger RNA technology um, was worked on prior to even uttering the, ver- the word COVID, right? So they were, they were addressing um, and developing this technology for a whole host of ailments. And obviously with the pandemic, things shifted uh, very quickly over to addressing this particular, uh, this particular virus. And so I think once this is addressed, of course, they're going to shift their attention back over to all of these other uh, diseases um, using messenger RNA technology, and we're going to be there uh, for them. And, I, and the, I think the beauty of this is we will have already proven and shown that our technology uh, works with this vaccine. I mean, that's, uh, we've done a lot of studies already, and I think uh, we're going to be a natural uh, company to, to provide these other other, uh, you know, vaccines and biologics that are under development and will be commercialized in the near future. Chris Weikart, Head of Scientific Affairs and Chief Scientist for SIO2 Material Science. Chris, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.